Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. I think I'll take a sip right now. Mmm, that's nice. Hey everyone! Thanks for joining me for another round of Cosmic Cocktails as we try to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's mad, mad little world. Well, what's been on people's minds lately? Oh, thanks, by the way, for all your comments and uh, letters of encouragement. Um, Gosh, it's great to hear from you. It really is. So, you know, let's take a look. What tales of magic and mayhem have walked through my door since our last show two weeks ago? Well, looking through my notes here, it would appear I haven't had many people in my office lately. Uh, Typical of September, actually, all of my work's been on location with home and property clearings. Uh, You know, we have a very short summer here in Oregon, and this one wasn't a particularly brilliant summer. So people get back into their work routines... The weather changes, it rains, it rains a lot here, that's why it's so green. Uh, You know, before you know it, it's dusk and suddenly life just isn't as sunny and gay as it was a few months ago. So, you know, things look a bit gloomy here when we start the transition into fall. Because one minute it's bikinis and daiquiris and the next minute it's pumpkins and possets. Well, I suppose really we should be grateful we still have four distinct seasons despite what we're doing to our very gracious host planet. So I guess we'll talk about property clearings a little bit. Uh, Why would you call someone in to bless your property? You know, back in the old days, people would have priests come and bless their properties. And in every culture, there's a shaman or a priest that does this. But it's not such a common concept anymore, is it, as people are moving away from traditional religions. Well, there's a number of reasons why you'd call someone to come in and clear your property. The most common, I would say, if I look at my Excel spreadsheet, is property sales. If you're moving into a new home, you know, whether you're buying or renting it, you really want to make sure that any of that residual ickiness is gone, has been dissolved. Ickiness, by the way, being the correct uh, technical term for this sort of thing. You know, you don't know who lived there before you. You don't know what happened there. You don't even know what happened on the land before that property was built. So it's not so much just for the the home. You know, it's what happened on the land. You want to claim the space as your own and you want to affirm your intent to be a good steward. And if your property is up for sale and for no good reason doesn't sell, if your realtor can't figure it out, you know, that's something I get called out for quite regularly. There's this thing called curb appeal and people stage their houses and usually houses sell quite well, even though we are experiencing a downturn right now. But if your house is lovely and beautifully staged and has curb appeal, blah, 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 and it's not selling, clearly there's something in the subtle realms that's repelling people. That's when you would call me 
uh, construction companies, God bless them, the clever ones, they call me to bless land before they break ground. That's always a good idea. And generally, I would say any time that you need a fresh start in life, you know, for example, well, certainly a death on the premises, because that opens and shuts all sorts of portals, divorces, any type of separation. When your children finally move out, hooray! Any type of relationship problems. If something just doesn't feel quite right, but you can't put your finger on it, you, you know, that's when you'd call me. And of course, everyone's favorite subject, paranormal activity. Well, people are quite obsessed with that. Well, I suppose people are obsessed with things they're not familiar with that gives them a bit of a fright. Strange that. You know, let's define paranormal, shall we? Paranormal simply means something outside of your normal, doesn't it? Something outside of one's area of experience. Something you're not familiar with and therefore quite likely to fear. And we really should make an effort in this day and age to educate ourselves when we come across something unfamiliar. Because if we don't, paranormal quickly becomes paranoia. And that's a pain in the ass to deal with, trust me, I know. I've been dealing with it for 40 years or so. So I will start by saying, let's talk a little bit about some of the paranormal experiences, because people love that. You know, I go to classes, I, I teach classes, and maybe I'm teaching critical thinking. So I'm all geared up for that. And then when it's time for question and answer, people will, can you tell us some about some, some, something about the paranormal experiences you've had? Or I'm teaching a class on cooking or something. But, oh, can you tell us about the paranormal experience? So let's just talk about that because um, clearly, you know, people enjoy that. I'll start by saying that on a good percentage of the jobs I get called out on, there is nothing paranormal per se going on. Things do go bump in the night. And it can be something as simple as a can of badly stacked baked beans crashing on the floor when a, when a heavy truck drives by. And plumbing issues come up quite a bit, you know. Most of the time you don't need me, darlings. You need a rotor router. The other thing comes up quite a lot. Doors banging. Ooh, apparently ghosts love to bang doors. Ghosts banging due to a gust of wind usually is why they bang. Um, that's the sort of thing. A perfectly normal occurrence, such as a door banging in the breeze, can quickly turn into a Chinese whisper scenario. You know, I've heard it all in my time. You know, I'll get a call. Oh my God, Arnie, doors are banging open and shut all over the place. We're haunted. We can see shadows. They're dark and they're menacing. And my friends don't want to visit me anymore. Oh my God, we're all out on the lawn. We're terrified to go back in. Uh, la, 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 la. So please come and get rid of them. And of course I do, because that's my job. But once I get there and I start the interview process, doors are banging all over the place. Actually turns out to be, someone thought a door slammed shut one night and saw a shadow race across the room very quickly, which you know can happen when doors open and shut, they let light in and out very quickly. And then that person who thought they saw that or heard that, they'll take that story and they'll tell it to many other people after refining it a little bit. And all these other people suddenly have vague recollections of something similar having happened to them on this premise, on these premises. And before you know it, you know, you're haunted by an army of ghosts and someone has to escort you to the loo at night. Um, you know, paranormal to paranoia happens all the time. Now, ghosts, spirits, assorted energy parasites, fairy realm, ETs, nature sprites, dark entities even demon brood 
All these things exist, of course. Different people have different names for them. And that depends on our cultural conditioning, of course, our level of education, general awareness and so forth. But here's the thing, and I think I mention this in every podcast, every class and probably every dinner engagement. Let's not forget, all points in space and time exist simultaneously. In other words, everything in the entire cosmos is happening right here, right now. Past, present, future, all of it. So of course multidimensional activity is possible. What we call it, how we choose to interact with it, that's what makes it normal or paranormal. So every culture has its own stories about how the universe works and who the major players are. You know, 1-800-DIAL-THE-PROFIT-OF-MY-PEOPLE. People tell me, by the way, when I say that, it's disrespectful, but it's not, you see. And also, I don't much care, but each culture does have its own version of ghosts, demons, and other world beings. Of course they do. We're all trying to make sense of something that is just beyond our understanding, just beyond our reach in the subtle realms and uh, also in the not-so-subtle realms. If you think life on Earth is dense, and, you know, it does have dense spots, and that humans are somewhat thick and dense, and there are humans out there experiencing us thick and dense, you should visit some of the trash, <laughs> trashy recycling realms in the lower vibrations. Actually, that's not an invitation. Um, those realms are not for the faint-hearted, and even if you could reach them, you'd have a devil of a time quite literally getting out. You know... Multi-dimensions, there's boxes within boxes within boxes, ad infinitum. People say, oh, there are seven dimensions, there are five dimensions, there are... everybody has a different version of it. Your level of awareness guides all the subtle realms. So I don't much care to, to, to you know, there's seven dimensions. There's millions of dimensions for all we know. No one knows. Quantum physicists don't know. We're all figuring it out. The most wisest shaman in the world doesn't really know. We know what our current level of understanding is, but enough to say that if everything's happening simultaneously, well, where is your dominant focus? You're really focused on this incarnation in this life. If something happens and you see something, hear something that is not part of your dominant focus story, yeah, you're going to be on edge a little bit. But if you think about the fact that all you're doing is having a peek into a, another story that somebody's written, that's kind of exciting and we can manage that. There's nothing to be, affra- no, to, to be afraid of. So, you know, well, I'll share a couple of things with you, I think. And mindful, of course, ever mindful of confidentiality agreements and the like, um, not just for legal reasons, which are important, but also for respect. Um, let's share some of these. Now, my darlings... Names have been withheld. (laughs) Of course they have. And locations may have been slightly altered, but the project details are accurate. I keep a log of um, most of my, uh, you know, home and property clearings. But I don't necessarily note the people's names, but I will note the location. So, what's some of the most interesting ones I've had recently? Oh, well, I will tell you there was a really funny one recently. Um, Not funny for the family. But I was called in by a lovely family who I've done some work for previously, uh, you know, in, in the Oregon area. Just a, just a lovely family. And they said, look, we bought this minivan. And it's great and it runs really good. But every time we get into it, it just feels odd. And we have an accident. So can you do something about that? 
So I thought, yeah, fantastic, a haunted minivan. Let's go and see what the gods of uh, Toyota uh, are up to. So I go to this home, and the minivan's in the garage, and I said, well, let's open all the doors and get a lot of air in. And I step, I, I open the trunk part of the minivan, I go in, and I'm immediately assaulted by the spirit of this dead pig, huge hog, um, and it's screaming at me and squealing at me, uh, and it's really very, very angry and very, very tortured. So I do my thing, you know, portal opens, uh, big pig on the other side comes and takes away all that residue, and we clear it all up. Um, and so now, you know, so now the minivan's fine. But now I have to go and tell the family what I've seen. And I always have to make a decision with that, by the way. Because say, for example, you call me for something minor and I find something really major. I'm going to take care of it, but I'm not going to tell you about it because now you've got this new um, area of consciousness to focus on. So I'm always very careful about how I speak with the, you know, speak with the people who call me out. This particular family are very young and very bright and have a great sense of humor. They're very intuitive. Um, so I told them, you know, I said, look, <laughs> I was assaulted by the spirit of a dead pig um, who was very unhappy. Uh, and But it's all gone now. So I don't know how you make sense of that. But uh, apparently it turned out that they bought this minivan from a farmer. And when they got the minivan, it was very dirty and it was covered in hay. Uh, and so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that a freshly slaughtered pig carcass ugh, uh, was transported in there. I think that's what happened. Um, so, you know, you just never know what you're going to show up for, uh, really. And you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. It's always a surprise every day. Um, one of the other things that was quite interesting, and this isn't a very pleasant story, by the way, but it is significant. Um, I was called out um, again in an Oregon home. Um, a lovely lady who owned the home um, with her husband, who I, I never did meet. Beautiful home, very big home. One of those homes that has its own aircraft hangar in the back. Very nice. Um, and she says to me, I can't sleep at night. I keep seeing red flashing lights. I keep hearing noises. Um, things do go bump in the night. I have a very eerie feeling in the bathroom and in certain areas of the house. So, so fan fantastic. Sounds like a, you know, just a regular clearing is needed. So I go there um, and I'm looking around the house. And yes, there's quite a lot of residual energy that needs to be cleared, but nothing amazing, you know. And then she says, well, you know, now there's a whole other part of the house that you have to look at, and that's the storage area and this giant aircraft hangar. So I went into the storage area, and I had the... I almost threw up. I uh, had the, the ickiest feeling of um, being tortured, I suppose, um, is, is the best way I can put it. Uh, real fear, and then terror... Uh, and then a level of terror where you just shut down and can't do anything about. So uh, I was, ooh, wow, I wonder if this is something that's going to end up, you know, on the police blotter. Then I open the door and I go into the aircraft hangar, and there's no other way to describe it. I was assaulted by a group of screaming primates just screaming at me, and they're not real primates, clearly they were, you know, <laughs> ether primates, um, 
They're screaming at me, they're clawing at me, uh, and they're just in agony, um, deranged mentally, terrified by something. And I turn to the right, because I feel a, a sort of a spot, of an oasis of peace, and there's this huge, huge Native American guy um, in spirit form, of course, standing there. And he looks at me and he goes, this is what I've had to deal with for a long time. Are you going to do something about this? I can help you with it. So I stepped backwards out of that area to regroup. And the woman who owned the property looked at me as if to say, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you were the real thing and you felt that. Um, and she said, what do you see? And so I, sh I just shared with her because she looked like the kind of woman who could handle that. And I said, look, screaming primates, they've been attacked and... Um, they're terrified and there's this huge Native American man and something really went wrong here. And she said, okay, clean it all up and I'll tell you what went wrong um, and what happened. So I did my thing. Um, there, there's hardly anything that doesn't clean up, by the way, with a really good clearing protocol. So we did our thing and then we sat down and uh, we, we had a cup of coffee. And she told me that that home belonged to one of the early science pioneers um, in one of the local research hospitals, and they experimented on animals. Uh, and that at one point, when they first bought the house, they had seen jars and jars of what uh, looked like brain residue. So I guess this chap brought his work home and did a lot of research there as well, because the whole place was, comp oh, it was just awful. It was just awful. So, you know, that's something unusual. You don't come across any day, any day. And it's very, very rare that when I enter a place that I have to just step back for a moment and regroup and see what the heck is going on. So that was a, that, that was a fun one. Um, another one that we had was uh, sort of interesting. Um, I was called to a ranch in Canada and they had a lot of horses. And they needed the horses to, you know, go from field to field. And there was one field that they just wouldn't go through. And this was very inconvenient for the owner because then they had to put the horses in trucks and take them to the other place and whatever. So uh, they called me and they said, "What, you know, just bless the place anyway since you're here. And this is a huge ranch. Um, and then they took me out to this field and they said, this is the field where the horses won't go. So I tried to speak to the horses and the horses said to me, uh, they sent me an image of ping pong balls. Because I'm not, strictly speaking, an animal intuitive, but, you know, you do this word work long enough and, you know, you end up being able to communicate with just about everything. So I thought, oh, ping pong balls, that's really interesting. Um, so, went to the field, did my thing. I had to be taken there, by the way, um, with, with a guy with a pickup truck and a shotgun. I don't know what the shotgun was for, but I was really hoping it wasn't for me. Um, so there we were. And I stand in, the, in this one field and this one place that the, just... The horses won't go. And I open myself up and I go, okay, what's going on here? What's going on here? Talk to me, spirits, blah, 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 you know. And immediately a vision came into view of what can only be described as the Star Trek transponder beam, some sort of transportation beam. And it was wonky. Um, and I knew that I could talk to it. Uh, I, I've never talked to a transponder beam. I didn't even know they could talk to you, but here you go. So I said, hey, uh, what's going on here? Um, why are you frightening the horses? And uh, 
And the intelligence I got back from the transponder beam was that um, it had stayed in place for many, many years when the shuttle ship that came down and uh, generated it uh, had to leave in a hurry. Uh, a mission was aborted. So I said, well, can you show me a vision of the mission? And they showed a huge mothership way up, and then the shuttle ship, try saying that, the shuttle ship came down and started, generated this transponder beam. And through this transponder beam, what I was shown was what looked like thousands of little white ping pong balls. And I asked the transponder beam, what are these ping pong balls? He goes, um, intelligence, um, collecting stuff, um, archival matter retrieval, that sort of thing. So I just saw thousands of these ping pong balls going down, bouncing onto the ground, and then shooting off at the speed of sound all over the planet. Um, so I asked the transponder beam, was it told to stay there? Um, and it didn't know. So we did a transponder beam prayer, never done one before, and collapsed it and the whole energy of the place calmed down. Then we were able to clear that field and integrate it into the greater grid of clearing because this was like a couple of thousand acres. So that was interesting. That was my uh, first and last science fiction sort of, uh, well, actually not my last science fiction, but um, one of the very few science fiction scenarios I've had to deal with. So, you know, that's the sort of thing you come up with. Most of the time it's a ghost. And what is a ghost? A ghost is you die, your body dies. And the story that we've written on this planet is that when we die, our soul wraps itself up in the in the aura and the chakras, the light body, and it goes right through a portal that opens up that is hot wired for you. And you go through that portal and you go to the place that we have called heaven and blah, blah, blah. Life goes on and, you know, much better on the other side than it is on this side, really, at the moment. So if for any reason you choose not to go through the portal, and I've heard it all in my time, uh, well, sometimes you could be drunk out of your head or stoned out of your head or whatever, and you still are in your personality. You know, you don't suddenly become an angel or a light being when you die. You, it's still you. So you might not recognize what the portal is. You might not be compass mentors. Or you might just want to stay behind for various reasons. People have told me they know that their spouse is having an affair and they want they want to follow them around now that they're a ghost and figure out, you know, who it is that they're bonking, this sort of thing. So, you know, that's usually most of it. And when you do a clearing, you open portals, portals open, and the divine comes and takes everybody exactly where they need to go. Sometimes it's just residual thought forms, you know, um, we generate thousands of thoughts a day, don't we, each one of us? And there's seven and a half billion or so of us on the planet. If we don't clean up those thoughts, they're going to litter the place. Think about physical trash, your, your dustbin at home. So you fill that up with all sorts of different types of rubbish and then you never take it out. And what happens is it starts to decompose and uh, various parasites are attracted to it to feed off it. And the, the, the putrefaction itself generates its own uh, parasitic activity. And in no time, it's crawling with disgusting buggy beings. And if you don't take that out and clean it up, they'll just overflow out of the dustbin and all through the house, etc. So think about your aura that way sometimes when you don't do deep breathing exercises. So, you know, um, there we are. A lot of the time, that's really all it is. It's redundant thought forms, all of the stuff from your mental trash heap. So you walk into a house where people don't like each other uh, and it, it looks just like that, an overturned uh, putrid dustbin. So most of the stuff, that's really what you do and what you clear. 
Uh, but, you know, it's a new day. All I can say to people is, like, if you don't want to hire the services of someone like me, and I'm perfectly happy to stop this work, by the way, and open a little tea shop somewhere on the South Coast, uh, do your breathing meditation every day. Keep your aura clear. All right. All right. I think probably that's enough. Um, we can go back to that if we have time later on. But I ran out of time last time. So I don't want to do that this time. So we'll figure it out, people. If you have problems, paranormal problems, and you can't figure them out, for heaven's sake, give me a call or give somebody in your locality who's respected, who does, who does this kind of work. Um, and, you know, let's help you understand it so that you don't fear it. And if someone's in trouble and they're trapped between dimensions, you can actually help them move on. Because if you don't have a physical body, you're not supposed to be on a physical planet. That's just really how it goes. So we'll figure it out together, darlings, because there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in our philosophy. And isn't that the truth? All right. Now it's time for Q&A. Do you have questions about life, the universe and everything in between? Are you just as confused about it all as I am? Then call me and we'll share the confusion. Emails to Arnie at ArnieAvadician.com Snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070. Our first question today comes from Reggie A., who lives in Pateros, Washington. Reggie says, Would you please explain the Akashic Records? How do they affect us when we live in this incarnation? Right, so Akashic Records is basically a record of every single thing that has ever happened anywhere in the cosmos. This podcast right now, our interaction, is recorded in the Akashic Records. Some people see it as a library, um, you know, a hall of records. It's just a depository. Every universe has its branch and, uh, you know, every solar system has its sub-branch. And then there's the main cosmic branch. It's a place where everything that ever happens is recorded. So if you've ever been to a medium, a really good medium, what they do is they access your Akashic Records. And they are given access to that, um, to, to the pertinent information that's required to help you with the problem you went to them for. So that's all the Akashic Records are. Now, how does it affect us in this incarnation? Well, through your chakra system, if they're properly, properly tuned and maintained and vibrant and vital and stable, you have access to all the wisdom in the cosmos. And most of that comes through, you know, the Akashic Records for us because we draw upon our past life experiences, also our future life experiences, because everything's happening simultaneously. So through the wonder of our chakra system, which are great satellite dishes receiving and, uh, and, and transmitting, we have access to how we've dealt with things in the past. And we can draw from that strength and we can learn from our mistakes. So that's how it affects us. That's really it. We don't want to make a big thing out of it, but, um, you know, there are wonderful meditations and maybe we'll do some in another podcast where I can teach you to access that information. Um, so that's the Akashic Records. Everything that ever happened, that we ever thought, that we ever did, it's there recorded. How wonderful is that? Which means that on a greater level, we can't really get away with anything, can we? But that's okay, because if you're seeking to access your Akashic Records, you're in a higher level of consciousness. 
and you're not going to let your false ego crash you. You're going to be using that information for bettering yourself and for the betterment of mankind. Thank you, Reggie A. from Pateros, Washington, for that question. All right, moving on. We have another question. Yes, we do. Where is it? Ah, here it is. Okay. This question is from Aida, who lives in Schweinfurt in Bavaria, and she asks, if we keep dying and reincarnating, does that mean that no new souls are created? That does not make sense to me. Do you have any input on this, please? Hmm, good question, actually. Um, yes, I do have some input. Let me explain the oversoul concept, the cumulative soul concept, the originating soul concept. Now, you think that, uh, you know, right now I'm Arnie Avedisian and I'm in this personality <clears throat> and I die. And so this personality soul just wraps itself up in the light body and goes to heaven. When it goes to heaven, it still has a sense that it's just Arnie Avedisian. And it reviews its past life and does everything and, you know, I'm dead, I'm in heaven, blah, blah, blah. New adventure. When all of that is settled, I stop being just Arnie Avedisian. I merge with the consciousness of my cumulative soul, my originating soul, my oversoul, whatever else I can think of that people call it. Which means that I sort of go back into the memory body, the consciousness body of my bigger self, my oversoul. And when I'm back in that, I can, I can be Arnie Avedisian. I can individualize as Arnie Avedisian because the book of Arnie Avedisian is written now and it's in the Akashic Records. I can pull that off the shelf anytime, read it and even re-inhabit it. But now I'm in my oversoul, so I remember all of the lives that everybody in my oversoul has had. So I suppose if you think about it in the most simplistic terms, how a five-year-old explained it to me, you're a big lump of jello, and then blobs come out and have experiences. And then the blobs decide they don't want experiences there anymore. And those little blobs go back into the big blob and they share all their experiences. And then the big blob decides to make a new soul from itself with a new personality. And that, my darlings, with that little five-year-old girl, is the best description I've ever had of how the oversoul concept works. We go back into our mother pod, we share the experiences, we enrich the experiences, and then when we're ready, that oversoul uh, plops up another little soul here and there with, uh, with, with personalities, and that cycle repeats. So it's not the soul going backwards and forwards. In... in, in um, in the simplest terms, you could say that the oversoul creates a new soul every time it creates a personality. So I hope that all makes sense. It's not too dissimilar to source energy that just self-expressed and we have all of these experiences and all of these different personalities, but eventually it's all going to go back into source. So thanks for that question. That is a good question. I get asked that from time to time. So we'll answer more questions if we have time left at the end of the show. But now it's time for a poem. Do, 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 do. Yes, folks, after a hard day's shamaning, I like nothing better than to go home, put my feet up, have a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, and write non-peer-reviewed street poetry. Why have Shakespeare and literary prowess when you can have Cosmic Arnie and a whole lot less? So I do this just for fun. It's a bit of a laugh. Um, 
I started writing poetry when I used to drink a lot more than I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, those were the days, man, when you were younger and you can handle it all. But nowadays I do it to lighten the mood because some of the stuff I talk about is very heavy. All right. So this one is called My Friend Arnold. For years I had this friend. His name was Arnold Post. I loved him till the end. But Arnold was a ghost. We always shared our meals. Not that it really mattered. For all the food he ate, he never once got fatter. We'd take the train on Sundays to sit and stare at the ocean. He never once got sunburn or ever needed lotion. He was my secret friend. I suppose that is admissible. After all, I can't deny, he was clearly invisible. I remember well the day they called him back to heaven. He kissed me on the cheek and said, I love you, Annie, and by the way, my name's really Kevin. <laughs> I, don't know, I love, hope you enjoyed that. I really liked it. Um, I love ridiculous poems. I just like to have a little bit of a laugh. All right, so um, I should get that book together. I'm going to get a book together, really bad, but occasionally brilliant poetry from a mad suburban shaman. Hopefully we'll get together, get that together this fall. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and do Tarot a Go-Go, because um, we couldn't do that last time. And thank you um, uh, uh, for the lovely people that wrote to me and said, oh, we like Tarot a Go-Go, don't skip it next time. So I'm not skipping it. I'm putting it to the top of the list. So Tarot a Go-Go, a little shenanigana with the major arcana. Oh, my God, Arnie, why are you working with tarot cards? Aren't they dangerous and occult? No, they're not. They're no more occult than my ass. Occult simply means supernatural or mystic. It does not necessarily denote evil intent. I use the tarot cards and I teach tarot classes because for most people, tarot is the first step into exploring multiple realms of existence, sort of a gateway into interdimensional adventures and learning how to balance the mind with the heart learning how to use visual imagery for prayerful contemplation and meditation. You know, so many metaphysical terms are so abstract. If you have something to focus on, that's why people do prayer beads or mandalas or whatever. We need something to focus on and um, a focusing tool for the mind. And tarot cards are just that. So I don't use it for divination because who the heck knows what's going to happen in the future? Every thought we have just disturbs ripples in time. So at best... It's a photograph of what is in the current pool of potential. And just a reminder, we're using the Rider Waite deck for instructional purposes. We're not using it because it's the prettiest deck in the world. It is not, but it is the most commonly used and a good choice for beginners. The other one uh, that, that's very good is the Robin Wood. So uh, be warned, if you show up to my class with the Darth Vader donkey deck of the undead brothers of perpetual perplexity, you're not going to be very happy. You know, start with something very basic. So today's card is number three of the major arcana, the Empress. I love this lady. She fills me with joy and hope. Let's take a look at her. She's the earthly embodiment of Venus, isn't she? I mean, the glyph Venus clearly is visible on the shield by her side. She's a sensual woman. She's seated on plush cushions in the middle of a field of grain and by a waterfall. Can you get more, you know, prosperous than that? You know, grain, water. 
Her robe is white and it's covered with what looks like pomegranate motifs. Pomegranate motifs, um, especially in my culture, Armenian culture, uh, huge sign of prosperity and wealth and just general goodness. But these pomegranates, they look as if they've been sliced open. And I think there's a subtle reference there that she's not a virgin. <laughs> Sorry to be so graphic, um, but she's a mother. It's uh, not so much for the act itself, but um, that she's a wise woman now. She's not, um, you know, she's not a virgin. She's been around the block. She is a mother. She is wise. You can seek her counsel. And indeed, when you look at her, she oozes confidence in the feminine persona, doesn't she? She's fertile. She's sensual. She's very, very womanly, but she's not subservient to anyone. Look at her holding her scepter, wearing the crown of the 12 stars. Boy, is she in tune with Mother Nature, and she really enjoys the entire cornucopia of Earth's bounty. This woman oozes grace and empathy. She's at home in any situation, and she will conduct herself accordingly. She is worldly, and she understands the language of all living creatures, and she's in tune with the cycles of the planet. She's worldly, yes, but she understands the ancient mysteries. Her posture in this is relaxed, and her smile... Her smile to me shows how easily she wears that crown. She says, hey, I'm chill, but I have dominion over all, by the way, that I survey, and I rule absolutely, but wisely and with compassion. So if you pick this card, with one of random cards, chances are you planted a seed in good soil, and you'll soon reap the rewards. And perhaps, as they generally are with this card, they will be greater than originally anticipated, and your productivity will be well rewarded. Number three, the Empress. What a lovely lady. Okay, now, what should we do? Yes, let's do the Wizard's Gizzard. Do -do 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 -do. A short spiritual ritual that you can make habitual. Spiritual practice can take many forms. It does not have to be a big palaver. I find, personally, it's the simplest protocols, done daily, done mindfully, that make the biggest difference in our lives. You know, life is not full of aha moments. You get those occasionally, but life is full of mm-hmm moments. It's the little things that we do, incrementally, that grow. That's what's important, because then we have time to absorb what we've learnt and we have time to see how it works in our lives. And then we plateau and then we move up. That's just how it goes. So today's whizgiz speaks to self-care. If we don't recognize the honor, if we don't recognize and honor the divine within us, how are we going to recognize and honor it in others? This is a fundamental issue with mankind. Too many of us, we're wrapped up in this notion called sacrifice. And you see it in parents, certainly, but it's present in all relationships, whether it's a personal relationship, a work relationship, or whatever. I mean, how many people are given their lives working for a company that would actually write them off with one stroke of an accountant's pen if it served them? The notion of having to sacrifice is, uh, IMHO, an arse-backwards ego trip, really. You know, I have to do this. I have to suffer for my family. I must suffer for my clan, my company, my spouse, my country, whatever, you know, my planet, fill in the blanks. Well, 
you know, bully for you for thinking yourself so important that nothing of value could be achieved without your blood-soaked sacrifice. You know, so much of this goes back to religious misinformation. And quite frankly, on some level, it, it still disgusts me a little bit. You know, you walk into a church and you see this agonized, wretched being nailed to a cross, dripping blood and sweat, and somehow you've been convinced that this is a role model. Think about that. A role model. Would anyone in their right mind worship a god that required this of you? I mean, that's one of the biggest marketing coups of all time, and hundreds of millions fell for it. No wonder we're in the shape we're in. Our creator adores us adores us, creator adores its creations and wants us to adore each other. So let's take some time each day to honor the divine spark within each and every one of us. The thought that somebody has to suffer horribly to make up for the sins uh, of others. Marketing coup people, wakey wakey. Okay, I wish the real Jesus would come back because he was cool. Anyway, this ritual is simple. When you're done with your workday, whatever that means for you, ask yourself this one question. What did I do today to honor my existence? Now, I chose those words carefully because it takes your mind in a different direction. If I say soul or divine spark, deep down you may doubt that you have a soul or that you are divine. But no matter what your belief system and assumptions are, you cannot deny that on some level you exist. So the question is, what did I do today to honor my existence? And give yourself time. We're so used to wanting to give an answer right away. Because what does that mean to you, you know? And how you honor your existence is up to you and it varies from day to day, surely. I mean, perhaps one day you need a massage or one shot of good bourbon. Perhaps you need to give notice at your place of employment. Perhaps you just need a day at the beach or to make a commitment to a new workout schedule. <laughs> That's me. You're the only one who can answer that question. And, you know, what did I do today to honor my existence? And when you start to ask that question, all sorts of emotions come up and let them come up. Emotions are vehicles for intelligence. Let them come up and let them float away. Let the intelligence pour itself out, the suppressed intelligence, the suppressed trauma, the suppressed triggers. All of these things start to percolate out by asking this one simple question every day. What did I do today to honor my existence? I honor existence. So the three important words in that sentence. I honor existence. If you meditate on that, you will be connected to all living beings through the unconditional love of source energy. This is a gateway to opening your heart, a warm heart, and opening the mind, a cool mind. After all, we wouldn't want to be labeled useless eaters, would we? No. You see, a useless eater is somebody who has no individual sovereignty, and that is the path of us all. Individual sovereignty. Okay, well, that's enough whizzy-geezy. Let's do a little time check. Yeah, I think we're good. Now it's time for a bit of philosophy and a segment I like to call Plato Chips. <laughs> this is where we share a quote from a philosopher of note. Today's pick is a personal favorite, 
and a guiding light in my younger years, that champion of humanitarianism, committed pacifist Bertrand Russell, who lived 1872 to 1970. That was a long life. Um, oh, I would have loved to have met him. Um, so who was this chap? Well, he's a philosopher, clearly, because he's on Plato chips. But he was also a brilliant mathematician and an educator and a social critic and uh, a political activist. He wrote, I think, well over 70 books, thousands of essays. And interesting, he just addressed many, many different topics. He was right across the board. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1950, a mathematician winning the Nobel Prize for Literature because he wrote so well. Oh, you should read some of his books. He had a, a really wonderful literary style. Um, and he's recognized as one of the foremost logicians of, um, of our time. You know, he, he was born into a very educated aristocratic family even. I think he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he went to Cambridge. Um, and he did something interesting. He gave away most of his inherited health, uh, in, inherited wealth, not health. Don't give that away. Uh, and what happened in 1931, he actually inherited and he kept an earldom. That's interesting. So, uh, you know, uh, he wrote so many books. Um, I would start by reading A History of Western Philosophy, which uh, apparently, I mean, it got rave reviews when it came out, and it's still, I think, the greatest book on Western philosophy ever written. Um, so to start with that, the other one that's really awesome is Why I Am Not a Christian. Uh, and that, ooh, that brings up a lot of emotions in people, just the title. But I would keep a cool head and a warm heart and read that because it's not bashing Christianity. It's much bigger concepts at play here. Um, so, you know, I love this guy. He was he was very passionately involved in social and political controversies. You know, he supported the suffragettes. He supported free thought in religion and morals and world government. He, he opposed World War One. He opposed the Vietnam War. He opposed war. He opposed the, 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 the concept of nationalism, political persecution. In fact, I think it was 1918, if I'm not mistaken, he was put in prison for a bit for, anti, for his anti-war views. Um, and in the 60s, he started talking out against um, nuclear weapons. He married four times. He had three children. Uh, and uh, he founded an experimental school, the Beacon Hill School, that if you from England you would know about. Um, uh, you know, he wanted everyone to be educated across the board, which I'm all about. You know, philosophy, mathematics, science, literature, politics. Let's learn all of it. And he was an active social critic and political critic right to the end when he died in 1970. So um, before I learned anything about him, though, I was told that he often had suicidal thoughts, as as most great people do. But he didn't commit suicide because he said, I wanted to learn more mathematics. Well, that got my attention for many reasons. One, because honestly, I distinctly remember wanting to commit suicide during mathematics classes back at school, uh, not my subject really. Um, but also because I know as a counselor that the will to live often dies out when we're no longer curious. So here's the quote that gets my vote, one of so many brilliant quotes this man gave us. I would never die for my beliefs because I might be wrong. I would never die for my beliefs because I might be wrong. 
That, my darlings, is a little something called true humility. It's a very misunderstood and sorely lacking virtue in today's dimmed down world. I think Russell should be mandatory reading in schools, especially the history of Western philosophy. Uh, when it was first published, it was hailed by the Observer paper as a lucid and magisterial, and that really is his style of writing. He's not a dry writer. He really gets you in there. He's, he's so refined. Um, and, you know, this book, I think, is still universally acclaimed as the best one-volume work on the subject of Western philosophy. So, you know, he talks about Pythagoras, Heraclitus, um, Plato, Socrates, um, the Atomists, Aristotle, the Cynics, the Septics, the Epicureans, the Stoics, um, Ambrose, Jerome, Augustine, Benedict, Gregory the Great, John Scott, Spinoza, Locke, ooh, I like Locke, Berkeley, Hume, Rousseau, Kant, Hegel, it's all in there, and it's going to make sense to you. And, you know, I have this thing that we should all study philosophy in schools again, just because it gets us to think and debate respectfully and not accept ready-made answers. This is a fabulous book if you have a teen that needs their, well, not a young teen, but an older teen that needs their mind expanded. And everyone should read this book. So there we are. That was Bertrand Russell, 1872 to 1970. Uh, definitely a role model for me. All righty, I think we have time for another Q&A. Yes, we do. And, you know, this is what this show really is all about. Uh, it's questions and answers. It's not so much about me pontificating, which I do so well, um, uh, in my opinion. But I would really like to devote 70% of the show to your questions and answers. So keep them coming, because we want to make metaphysics mainstream. That's very important. We want the spirit to inhabit the human. We want people to realize that there is no difference between, well, we want the separation of church and state, but we want the secular spiritualism to overtake mainstream religion, which is immature. You know, we want sort of universal brotherhood and sisterhood. And we can't do this unless we get up and we talk about what we've been taught, how we respond to it, what we believe, what we don't believe, and we need to give each other respectful space for discourse, not yell at each other like we do now. I want to live in a place where Americans don't identify as Republicans and Democrats, because clearly both parties have lost their way. The other thing, of course, is you can't be left-wing and you can't be right-wing. If, you, if you're a aeroplane or a bird with just one wing, if you've got one left-wing and no right-wing, all you're going to do is go around in circles to the left. And if you don't have a left wing and you just have a right wing, all you're going to do is go around in circles to the right. So let's not do that. It's another marketing coup. We have been told that we need the left and the right wing for balance. It is balance that they exist. We should all be Americans first. And then we go a little bit to the left when it's for the betterment of mankind and a little bit to the right when it's the betterment of mankind. But we have to stop polarizing people. For heaven's sake, people, get a grip. All right. Q&A. Let's take a look at what we have here. Ah, yeah, let's pick this up. Okay. This one is from Sandy, and Sandy lives in Alpharetta in Georgia, USA. I have to admit, I have never heard of that town. Um, Sandy, I read your letter several times, and I think, if I may, I'm not going to read the first part of the letter 
as it is deeply personal. And I'm going to make an executive decision. I'm not sure you need to share this with the general public in this show anyway at this time. Uh, Sufficeth to say you have suffered greatly at the hands of your guardians. So I'll start after that. Um, The pain I am in, the trauma I am in daily crashes me every minute. I think about killing myself every day. When I take the painkillers... I can't engage in anything meaningful. If I don't take the painkillers, I'm in so much pain, I can't engage in anything meaningful. I'm afraid to live. I'm afraid to die. I don't know what to do. This is a half-life. I don't know that you can help me, but no one listens to me anymore. My family have written me off. And I'm not going to read the second part either. Oh, Sandy, I empathize with you. I really do. I had an accident a while ago, quite a while ago, and I'm in um, pain every day. And I had to learn how to manage that pain. And we can talk about that in a bit. But what I want to talk about is where you have written, um, you have written three times in this letter. I think about killing myself every day. Okay. With great love, I surround you, and my heart empathizes with yours for your situation. So I want you to take a deep breath when I say this, because it is meant with love. If you thought there was any value in killing yourself, you would have done it by now. I don't think you're going to do it. What you're doing is wallowing in self-pity. And that's a trap we all fall into because I know as well as anybody else, chronic pain wears you down and the agents that they give us to manage that pain wear you down even further. I don't discount anything that happened to you. Some of us have had terrible stories. You have a very terrible story here. But you know what? That is actually your history, Sandy. It's not your life sentence. So if you want to manage your life better, there are ways. The very first thing I think we have to do is to find a better way of managing the pain. So you've told me what you're taking here, um, and that's a very strong opioid. So I don't know what the laws are in Georgia, or if you even have you know, a good naturopath in your area. Cannabinoids are wonderful for managing pain. Now, here in the state of Oregon, it's legal, whether for recreational or for medical use. I don't know what the situation is in Georgia. But you mustn't think that you're going to get stoned out of your head when you take medicinal cannabinoids. What happens is um, you may get a very slight sense of euphoria, and what's wrong with that? But our bodies have cannabinoid receptors in them. And so it dulls the pain, gives you a very slight lift, and you can have a very, very functional life. So the very first thing, before you start talking about the emotional process of suicide, etc., is please find someone you can have a better conversation with about managing the pain and keeping you functional. And then when we have that and you're inhabiting a body that isn't racked with pain and then dumbed down with opioids... You know, when we break that cycle, 
then we can talk about how to find some curiosity about life again. And let's find the real you again that's in there somewhere before you were traumatized by these horrible acts. Um, you know, I'm glad you're not with that family anymore. And I am glad that you're in a more supportive environment now. But most people don't know how to deal with mental health issues. And the establishment just wants to medicate you. There are ways out of this. And in fact, if you'd like to, Sandy, um, at no charge to you, uh, give me a call and I'll be happy to do. Um, I'd be happy to gift you a session to help you out of this misery because it's just a shift in perception and then a little bit of persistence and diligence and focus. And we can turn this around. So for all of you out there who think, oh, you know, I just think about suicide every day. You don't. You don't. You're wallowing in self-pity. You, And it's not a criticism. You've just allowed yourself to fall into that false ego trap. Hundreds of millions of other people are in that trap. So don't beat yourselves up. But just know that there's a way out of this that's functional. And it's practical. And it's a reality. It doesn't matter how many years you've spent wallowing in this and wanting to commit suicide. If you haven't done it yet you're not going to and that was never your intention it's just a cry for help and most people don't know how to help you so i think we need to be more supportive about that we need to be more supportive about each other's mental health issues there's not always a solution to it sometimes you just have to listen to people just listen to them let them share their deepest darkest moments with you you're under you're under no obligation to be able to you know to have to give them an answer you just have to be there. Sometimes when people are allowed to vent in a non-judgmental space, it's not so bad after that because there's no resistance. It's, there's acceptance. I feel this way. And you now know that I feel this way. And then when the resistance dies down, because that's what happens with acceptance, then we find a way out, a way forward. So take heart, Sandy. In the blink of an eye, life can change, and it will. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thank you for your comments. It's been lovely. Uh, well, my darlings, gosh, I think that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Today's real-life martini was handcrafted with great care by yours truly, using a very old bottle of gin that I found in the back of my cabinet, which is called Peter's Family Gin, and it's made right here in Cannon Beach, Oregon, a very nice Oregon seaside town. Now, I only recently opened this bottle, and I must say, it's a really different experience. Strong herbs, a touch of licorice, I think. What am I tasting, Peter? Who are you? Do you still make this stuff? I mean, I may need a couple more martinis before I can figure this out. So I have no affiliation with Peter's family gin. I have no idea who the heck he is and if he has a family. But if you're still in business, you know, you don't have to sponsor me. Just give me more gin because this stuff is fabulous. Call me, Cannon Beach Gin Man. Call me. Your stuff is weird but awesome. Hey, weird but awesome. Yeah. I'm Annie Avedisian. <laughs> this was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.